So humor is one of the quickest ways to get rapport and trust right up front. From Interfaith Alliance, this is The State of Belief. I'm Interfaith Alliance President Reverend Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch in New York City. People go, oh, I get her. I understand her. She makes me feel comfortable. She makes me feel less alone. Happy holidays. We are celebrating with an uplifting conversation with a preacher, lawyer, stand-up comedian, and motorcycle riding author. And they're all one person. The Reverend Susan Sparks is senior pastor at Madison Avenue Baptist Church in New York City. And we'll be talking about joy in difficult times, laughing in church, what inspires us, and Susan's books, including Laugh Your Way to Grace and Miracle on 31st Street. We are growing the state of belief, building on our 18-year history by partnering with Religion News Service. And as part of the RNS family of podcasts, there's a next generation, the State of Belief podcast that I want to make sure you're subscribed to. Please visit stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. It would really help us to have you subscribe, rate, and tell people you're close to about all that you are hearing. The State of Belief is made possible in great part by the generous support of our listeners. If you've made a donation, thank you for helping get these conversations heard by more people who need them. If you haven't pitched in yet, information on how you can help keep this show going is available at stateofbelief.com and you can find out more about the work of Interfaith Alliance and join us at interfaithalliance.org. And now to my guest. When things look grim, as they do right now on many fronts, it can seem inappropriate to seek out reasons to laugh. And yet, few things can equip us for rising to challenges like joy and laughter. And so I am genuinely happy to introduce Reverend Susan Sparks, who is a preacher, a lawyer, and a stand-up comedian who is the author of Laugh Your Way to Grace and Miracle on 31st Street. She is the senior pastor of Madison Avenue Baptist Church in New York City, a best-selling author who says her mission is to change the world one smile at a time. Ah, that's what I need. Susan, welcome to The State of Belief. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. I think that's it. Like, uh, I think we've done questions. it. Uh, I think we've done it. Listen, <laughs> but what people what people don't know is that you are the senior minister at the church that ordained me. Like, yes. we have history. Yes. We have history. That Madison Avenue Baptist Church is the church that went out of their way. I will say to say you may be called at, at a time when I didn't even know what that meant. I mean, it's really like for me, Madison Avenue Baptist is like my alma mater in a way, like really the the home of my soul, the mother of my soul. I mean, really, a really important place. It's a you know, it's a it's not a huge church. It's not a mega church, but it's a church where everybody matters, where everybody belongs. I mean, I I talk about your Madison Avenue Baptist Church all the time as a place that like is emblematic uh, for me of what a church can be. So you're the senior pastor. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing great, Paul. Thank you. Uh, given the circumstances, I think we're all uh, pretty exhausted about this point in time. I mean, part of it's yeah. COVID, part of it is the season, and part of it is the world and the headlines. You know, the world and the headlines. And and so you let's talk a little bit about your background because. Um, you may have a little bit of an accent that comes out in certain moments and you certainly, uh, uh, (laughs) 
there are certain moments when your accent does come out, and, and it may be when you're wearing your cowboy boots or riding your motorcycle, which she also does, people. This is amazing woman, Susan Sparks. Um, so, so tell me about your background and how you went from, you know, from growing up and then becoming a lawyer. And then when I intersected you, you were um, beginning to look at your call to ministry. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Paul. And one thing I just want to just share with your um, listeners, I'm in the sanctuary of my church. So if I hope the sound is coming through clearly, but if it sounds like I'm in a giant cathedral, um, I'm in a tiny cathedral. <laughs> You're in but, a tiny cathedral, I'm but you sound very, you sound very holy. Oh, right. Well, yeah. And, and, ex, and extra pious. So that was, that was the goal. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you did pick up on an accent. Uh, I'm from North Carolina originally. And, you know, my call to ministry started really early. I somewhere around like age five or six, I thought I want to be a preacher, you know, and I was taking all my stuffed animals and shoving them in the corner on Saturday nights and telling them Bible stories because uh, I knew it was going to be better than what the Gandalf out of Lord of the Rings looking guy was going to preach the next day. So <laughs> the thing is that I came out of a very conservative Southern Baptist church that does not to this day ordain women. And so I remember telling my Sunday school teacher that I wanted to be a preacher. And this woman, God rest her soul, she, unbeknownst to the church, smoked a lot of unfiltered cigarettes and drank some bourbon. So she was just like sounding sort of like Sam Elliott. So when I told her I wanted to be a preacher, she was like, darling, that's not going to happen. <laughs> oh my you know, god six, you don't really know how to argue that point so bottom line i thought okay well that's not a career choice where else can i go fast forward 20 years later i'm a lawyer because it's the same job just different clients really right, right. Um, right so i practiced law for about 10 years but all through that time of practice that call kept coming back and yeah. that girl who loved, it was kind of a little comedian at heart, was a storyteller, wanted to be a preacher, kept coming back. And I also realized that those good old boys were great at comedy. So I started studying stand-up as I was a trial mm. lawyer because mm. I realized juries, people really resonated with humor. But uh, finally that call came back and I realized that I, I couldn't ignore it any longer. So I jumped ship, uh, Went to New York, went to Union Seminary. That's where we crossed paths and found mm -hmm. Madison and never looked back. Isn't it amazing? I mean, this is, you know, I want to give a shout out to um, a pastor who isn't famous, but his name is Mike Easterling uh, and his wife, Jerry. And I tell you, Mike took chances with a lot of us. And he was a Baptist minister. Um, you know, tall, uh, straight, good looking. And he brought in, and I'm going to include you in this list, a cast of misfits who thought, he said, I see something in you. I'm going to give you a chance. And, you know, I, I had, you know, invitations to like the Unitarians and others. And, and he said, oh, you're going to be able to do everything at Madison Avenue Baptist. I was like, what? This is the craziest idea I've ever heard. And anyway, I just want to give a shout out because he was the pastor of Madison Avenue Baptist before you. And uh, and then you are uh, definitely his his very, very worthy um, successor. But let's get into a little bit about like. Com comedy. I remember when you were you were like going to comedy classes while at Union and and like try doing these things simultaneously. And by the way, like, you know, it's all very nice and good to, you know, be funny. It's a different thing to be a comedian. 
And yeah. so like that is an, an intentional it's like it's like a setup of a sermon. Uh, you know, this is like it takes work, it takes intentionality and the the goal is to bring levity. So talk about how comedy is incorporated within your call to ministry. Um yeah, I mean to me comedy is uh, maybe one of the most powerful tools that we have honestly. And there's so many different levels of it. I mean, I think one is just basically it breaks us open and helps us see life in a fresh new way. And that includes worship. You know, we can just get rote about how we come at spirituality or church or synagogue or mosque or whatever way we approach God. And I mean, I have to think about a billboard. My husband and I saw Toby, we were driving through the Twin Cities a couple of years ago. And at the top, it said Minnesota Cremation Society. Okay, which is just strange that they would even advertise, right? And underneath that, it had a photograph of a casket. And underneath that, it said, think outside the box, which Damn. I was like, there it is. Hilarious. Wow. Right? Wow. But, no, but it's all about the, the laughing and breaking open and seeing things in a fresh new way. But I think another big piece that humor brings that we don't think about all the time is forgiveness and mm. kind of empathy. Uh, I've said many times, if you can laugh at yourself, you can forgive yourself. And mm. if you can forgive yourself, you can forgive others. And so that's kind of, you know, many world religious traditions squished together in kind of two phrases, but it is about us being able to forgive ourselves and look out and feel that connection, you know, to others. And so I, I think that's a big one. But the third one, I think the biggest is building bridges. And that's mm. why I'm on this, uh, as you know, Laugh and Peace Tour since 9-11, actually, I've been on a comedy tour with a rabbi and a Muslim comic, and we traveled all over the world together in all types of venues, religious, secular, educational, nonprofit, whatever. And the whole idea is we put our stories on stage and our kind of life, life experiences through humor, and the audience sees how they overlap. They crisscross. Mm. You know, maybe it's we all have an aunt that drives us crazy or maybe, you know, we all hate going to the DMV or there's a food that we each enjoy or there's music that we like. And it's all about just finding common ground, which is something mm. we so desperately need. And humor helps us do that because, you right. know, if we laugh together, you and I share something right then because right. we both understand the premise of the joke. Yeah. So, well, you you have this book, "Laugh Your Way to Grace." I think what you're talking about is 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 some of that, especially around um, just seeing the world in a different way and realizing you don't have to keep going the same way. And if laughter can kind of allow you um, to to have fun, you know, I mean, and and to to see your life in a different way. I'm just flashing on something. Um, my great grandfather Walter Rauschenbusch said. He said the only thing I could never laugh at was my deafness. He was deaf and he went deaf and he was so, it alienated him so much and he was never out because he was like, he liked to have fun. And I, I, I felt sad about that. You know, that, that he said that I could never find the humor in it. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, but, and I don't, don't want to like, you know, point a finger and say, well, that's because you had a lack of imagination or whatever, but it, it just points to the, it's a case in point of what you're saying. Had he been able to find something, or maybe if he had met uh, Reverend Susan Sparks and figured out a way to find something that could be humorous about it, it would have lessened the power it had over him. You know, I, I love that you brought that up, Paul, and I'm sorry he felt that way. Completely understandable, though, but I'll give you an example. I have a friend who runs a group called Cracking Up, 
And this friend is a psychotherapist as well as a comedian. And he teaches people who are struggling with severe mental health issues stand up. So they are able to get on stage and talk about their experience where in, even even in therapeutic settings, it's been difficult, but they do it through stand up and the audience bonds with them in that moment. And it is incredibly powerful to claim that pain and then share it and be able to laugh with each other about it. So that's, I love the people should check it out. It's called Cracking Up. Well, and also, I just, you know, you can talk as much about this as you want, but, you know, life hasn't been overly easy for you every day. You've no. had your own struggles and yeah. you've had your and, and in some ways, like church is the place where we feel like we can bring our deepest pain. But then we're, we feel like sometimes we have to you know, kind of massage that pain and be solemn around that pain and be and and treat it with kid gloves and mm. never allow it to maybe, you know, be as, you know, crack open as high as the ceilings of the church are. You know, so I'm curious, like for yourself, I mean, how is how has humor been a part of your own healing from what what the things that you've been going through? Yeah. Well, thank you, Paul. That's a that's a lovely question. I, I think from a spiritual perspective, over the years, I've realized that humor is um, it's really all about a holistic approach to worship, because I, as you just described, I think we tend to check our laughter at the door of our houses of worship like we check our coats. You know, we're going to mm. bring in the pain and the resentment, and the anger and the fear, all that. Welcome. But the laughter, not so much. And the, the I've realized for my own self you can't ask God to heal you unless you give God all the pieces. And so mm. in our services, we encourage people to bring everything to the altar, whatever it is, however painful or joyful or funny or scary, it comes in and it goes on the altar. And I mean, I'm a breast cancer survivor myself. And it was in those kind of personal experiences for me that, um, that we, that I realized that humor is not only a physical healing tool, you know, the excess, you know, when you breathe in and you laugh, that lowers blood pressure, increases heart and lung function, but it's a psychological healer too. I mean, if you could stand in a place of pain, a place of fear, um, a place of not knowing and look that issue in the eye and laugh, find a place, a way to laugh. It's like you're saying to it, you may defeat me, but you won't define me. Mm. Um, and I think mm. in that moment that laughter is that place that just grounds us and makes us stand a little straighter and a little taller. And I'm sure people listening have had those experiences, whether it's going through a medical crisis or a personal crisis. I mean, let's call it out. The place where laughter is maybe most healing is at funerals. Um, oh, right. Can, may I share a story? Do we have time for me to share? Yes, a please, please. There's a, a woman in our congregation, Paul, you know her, but I will. I will not name the names to keep the innocent protected. Mm, mm. But this was my first funeral down in Staten Island. I go in, it was open casket. I was asked to pray over the person who passed away. She was a person that would never leave the house without perfect hair and makeup. So I reach in the casket, touch this person's arm, my arm around the daughter that was there. And the second I touched this person's arm, I was like, ah, which is not a pastoral thing to do, you know, at a funeral. Anyway, long story short, I, and I come to find out inside her sleeve was a box of hair color. And they told me, you know, we were scared mama wouldn't have her hair color on the other side. So we decided to bear oh, her with wow. Miss Carol 5A1C3. Oh, wow. Just, of course, melted down with laughter. And we laughed and laughed. And then those tears of laughter morphed into tears of mourning for losing yeah. this 
It's a, and then somebody told another funny story and it went back to laughter of joy. So, yeah. you know, it's the seamless healing of grief in that moment that I bet many people that are listening have experienced. Yeah, God, that I've definitely felt that. And I, I'll just confess that I was a church laugher. Like, I would crack up in church and, and I would be there and just dying of like giggles and like not being able to like handle it. And I was, I, it was like, I was suffocating because I was just, you know, something would set me off. And, and, uh, and I think like, you know, just being, I, I, because I remember those moments and I shared so many of them with my siblings, like it, it's one of my favorite parts of church. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I, I just love what you do. You have a book called Miracle on 31st Street, and we're, we're kind of in the, in the holiday season, in the Christmas season for the Christian community. Talk to me a little bit about that, um, that book that you have. And, and uh, for those who don't know, of course, I, you and I know is that Madison Avenue Baptist Church is on 31st Street in Madison. And uh, I, I will give a pitch because you guys have a great, um, you guys have great social media because you have a great sign in front that that is used for often, not, you know, often very serious stuff, but often for very funny things. So if you're going by Madison and 31st in New York City, you've got to check this out. It's it, uh, uh, this this church out. Talk to me about this um, this book, the miracle on Thirty First Street. What was the reason for writing that, and and what were some of the miracles you'd like to talk about? Well, thank you, Paul. I've got to back up for a second though and share a couple of signs out because we love. Thank you for bringing that up. We um, it's on social media, but also if you're ever walking past our church, you'll see just signs that make you think, signs that make you laugh. I mean, this is the face of the church and this says more about Madison than anything. So like, for example, one of our signs was the reason people get lost in thought is because it's unfamiliar territory. Um, (laughs) (laughs) One said, uh, what happens in Vegas is forgiven here. Uh, (laughs) My favorite all time one was uh, honk if you love Jesus, text while driving if you want to meet him. (laughs) (laughs) these are good by the yeah go ahead yeah right now just quickly tell us your social media handles so that people can if they want um follow uh madison avenue baptist church and if you're in new york i i I assume you are welcome just as uh, madison avenue baptist was when i was there welcome to everyone to come in you there is no litmus test about any one thing uh to come into that church really when they when madison avenue baptist says you all are welcome really all are welcome uh but what are your social media handles uh we're on facebook instagram and it's at madison avenue baptist um Yes. And yeah, so those are the ones. Uh, Thank you for asking about the book. The Miracle on 31st Street started out as kind of a collection for Advent. So one meditation a day for the four themes of Advent, as you know, uh, hope, peace. I have to think through it as I'm going through what's the day? (laughs) Hope, peace, uh, joy and love. And so there's, you know, six or seven segments for each one as you travel through Advent. But what became clear to me is it's not just a Christmas book or an Advent book or a holiday book. It's really for joy any time of the year. So that's why mm. I call it Miracle on 31st Street. Um, I think it's Grinch to Gratitude any time of the year. You know, kind of <laughs> Good. But one of the it's it's all kind of humorous approaches to serious topics, which is my preaching method. And I'll give you one example. There's one of my favorite ones is the story of Mary riding the donkey up to Bethlehem. And the idea that 
she's what you know she's about to have a baby so she's like eight and eight months and nine 99 and to a hundredths pregnant ready to go and she looks at this donkey and thinks oh my gosh and straight up the mountainside where she's got to go so the thought that went through mary's head is am i going to ride this thing or not and <laughs> so the whole piece is about things in life where we're faced with things we don't want to do we don't want to deal with and some of mm -hmm. them are things we have choices about so we say no we learn to say no, but some of them are things we don't have choices about. Maybe it's a cancer diagnosis. Maybe it's a child in crisis. Uh, it could be a divorce. It could be so many things. And in that case, we look to Mary, who gave us two really important things to do. Number one, find a lot of padding, however <laughs> you find that in your life. And number two, pray. You know, I'm sure she was going up that mountainside. She was counting every little hair on the mane of that donkey going, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord. <laughs> I, you know, listen, I remember being on a donkey going down, going down the Grand Canyon, being like, this is it. This is I'm not going to make it here. You know, and so like you know, I, I love. But I think I think this is the this is the the wonderful gift of, of comedy and and alongside like real, real faith lessons and real lessons of, um, of, of life. You're, I have to say, like, one of the reasons I just admire you so much is like you shatter stereotypes of what a pastor is supposed to be. You're a woman, you're a comedian, but also you're a motorcycle rider. Uh, and I believe, at least at one point, I don't know if you're still doing it, you had a blessing of the motorcycles. Is that yeah. still happening? Uh, we haven't had one in a while. Um, it's a little hard in COVID, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but well, what yeah. was that? What was that? I, that, you know, I, I just, because you're a motorcycle rider and, and I, you know, we have the blessing of the animals and all that. And I just love the idea. It's like, go to what, where people are. Go to what is the reality of their life and, okay. and find ways to bless that. We closed off Madison, uh, the far right lane of Madison. Uh, the police were very kind in letting us do that. And they people brought their bikes and just lined them up in front of the church. And so we had a service that was all biker themed. Um, we had a biker themed uh, 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 sermon. And then afterwards, we went outside and I did a blessing for each bike of just, you know, I asked what people wanted to be blessed. What did they yeah. need? And then just offered a blessing of safety and enjoyment for their bike. It was awesome. It's it, no, we're not the only ones that have thought this up. It's been done before, but in New York City, maybe not so much. It it, it is a wonderful gift. Now, I do want to ask you, like, um, to uh, maybe just give us a taste of uh, of a few jokes. Is that like? Can you ask a comedian for jokes? It's kind of like asking a, a, a you know a, a pastor for a sermon. But any jokes that you like really like to that that are killing out there in the in the circuit uh, that you do want to share with our uh, our listeners? Well, thank you, Paul. That, um, that, yeah, that is kind of scary to be asked as a comedian. You're like, what's working? Ah, I don't know. Uh, but my, you know, I'm actually more of a storyteller as mm. just a you know, joke, joke, joke. But my whole thing is talking about being a Southerner in New York. And so I talk about things that are jarringly different, like even just food shopping. Like, you know, people up here go to these fancy sounding grocery stores like Zabar's. You know? <laughs> and, and you hear people say things like, can I serve white truffle chev with quail? <laughs> People heard that where I grew up. You know, last time I went shopping down in North Carolina, I was at the Piggly Wiggly store. 
you know, and the woman next to me was like, do you think I can serve Velveeta with that back? (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's more of kind of, you know, experiential things that are different up here and, you know, people eat kale up here, Paul. Do you eat kale? I don't know if you eat kale. I- oh, oh, oh! I, I've, I've become a kale eater. I have to say, I, be, I, I'm on that. You know, when it's, I will not go out of my way to buy kale, but when it's a, in, you know, at a restaurant, I will. I have not been uh, adverse to buying a kale salad. I tell you, I am in awe because I've tried everything. I've tried to bake it. I've tried to eat it on salads. I even tried to fry it. And oh, you, we, wow. we all know if you fry something and that thing's not better, that thing is evil. <laughs> wow, you've heard it here first. Pastor Sparks has claimed kale evil. I think that may be the most controversial thing that we're, we're hearing today. Up next, more with Susan Sparks. And I'll have some personal thoughts for this special time of the year. You can hear full episodes of The State of Belief anytime on our website at stateofbelief.com. And make sure you subscribe to the Next Generation Podcast at stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. That's stateofbelief.com slash new podcast. You're listening to The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. As far as your preaching goes, because one of your books is really aimed at preachers about bringing humor into the pulpit. What is our, what are some of the things that you recommend? I mean, I think every listener out there who goes to a, a church or a synagogue or any any sort is like, oh, I hope that someone listens to this lady <laughs> and get some humor in there. But 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 what are what are some things that you recommend preachers or people who want to give a a good spiritual message, but um, want to inject some some humor into it. What are some ideas or uh, suggestions? Yeah. Well, it, what I, I frame it in the book around what I call the Ten Commandments of Comedy, what I have learned as a comedian that's relevant to preaching. And frankly, it's relevant to just about everything. I teach it to lawyers. I teach it to business people. But one of the main ones is edit. Please, please get to the point. You know, down south, they'll, uh, we have a saying that, Uh, sermons like biscuits improve with shortening right um but it is all about editing and that's what stand-up is about people hear comedians and they think oh it's all off the cuff some might be most descriptive and it's scripted to the point where all the extraneous materials is taken away so that you have the core like a short setup and a punch the longer the setup the bigger the punchline has to be same Mm -hmm. for sermons same for messages I mean, the perfect example is getting an email that is 16 pages long. Oh, my goodness. This is so funny. Read this. And then it might be funny at the end, but you're so exhausted. You're on the floor and you can't laugh. So yeah, the whole thing is get to the point. People are listening, not reading. They need a one line summary to take away. Mm. And that's what you've got to cut to. So I think editing is big. There's a chapter I talk about speaking, preaching as an EKG, you know, like mm. the, the electromagnetic tracking we do of our heart there's a spike and then it drops and a spike and it drops in comedy most comedians hit punchlines maybe 10 to 12 a minute oh wow thank goodness as preachers we don't have that high bar but you need to track human intention which unfortunately is about four minutes you know Uh study so 
a, a change might be something funny. It also might be a story, a statistic, you know, a scripture, a change in voice, movement, whatever. But as a comedian, you know, you've got to pee people's attention like that. Right, right. Um, and the third thing, and I'll share, and that just there's ten, but I'll give you three, is how people don't realize humor is a powerful vehicle for social justice. Um, I use humor to help open the door to preach hard topics. Um, and you know, for example, I I preach in a lot of more conservative churches outside of Madison. And if I want to go and do say a sermon on race relations to make people comfortable, I will lean into a story like there's a parade in Southern Minnesota called the standstill parade. True, believe it or not, it's there. And it's because all the fire trucks and the the majorettes and the Shriners are parked by the side of the road and the crowd walks by. <laughs> it's just so crazy, right? But everybody laughs, they think it's fun. You hear the story, you can see people's shoulders relax. They sit back, there's trust, there's rapport. Then you start taking that refrain, it's our time to move. And you start easing into more difficult topics, things that make would otherwise make people uncomfortable if they got hit with it straight, but they need to trust you first. So humor is one of the quickest ways, especially as a trial lawyer, I realized that to get rapport and trust right up front. People go, oh, I get her. I understand her. She she makes me feel comfortable. I, I She makes me feel less alone. It's a very, very important tool that we don't we think about humor as something that would gloss difficult topics. No, it breaks the door open to help us get to them. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, even what you do with the the tour, um, the, the what is it? Laughter Peace Tour? What is it? No. Uh, Laugh and Peace. Laugh and Peace. I mean, I think that that is an example of using um, what you know how to do uh, and leveraging it. Um, for good. And I'm just curious if in this time, and by this time, you know that I'm referencing all of the world's trials, but especially for inter- those of us who care about interfaith relations and those of us who are believe in this, you know, in this sanctity of all life and have deep relationships with the Muslim community, with the Jewish community and with um, broader, broader communities in this time where there's just so much division and and hostility which is resulting in you know real spikes in anti-semitism islamophobia on this country have you i, I don't want to, you're not you're not here to solve it no one's no one's got this right but i am curious if you have been thinking about that with your colleagues or if there's anything in the works for that you might be doing to try to bring people together in this terrible moment using laughter which in a time when it feels like no one feels like laughing yeah well it's a great question paul i think uh, yes this conversation's going on all the time about this and it's all about again trying to find common ground you have to start with something that everyone agrees on and maybe i mean sometimes that's been food where we gather people together and talk about you know have a dinner or a a gathering where people bring their favorite foods and that bonds people and then you move on to something that may be less familiar kids bring people together our hope for our children brings people together um you know music even pain. I mean, I did a piece one time about how cancer does not discriminate between Republican and Democrat. You know, this is something we all share. And I have to lean back into our tour. I, Bob and we've worked with multiple uh, Muslim comics. They're brilliant 
at telling their stories in a way that people can hear, but hit hard with a message. Here's one, Azhar Usman, one of our comedians out of Chicago, talked about rolling up to a light. This was about six, seven years ago. He goes to a light and here comes a pickup truck that comes in right beside him. And this was in Illinois. And uh, Azhar, uh, he dresses as a traditional Muslim man um, and he has a long beard and and he you know, saw these guys motioning for him to roll down the window. He rolls down the window and one of the guys, two white guys, young guys, leans out and goes, what's up, Osama? And then the other guy leans around his friend and goes, what's going on, Gandhi? And, and I, <laughs> after he calls it out in the moment, he goes, what does that even mean? Can we just stop a minute? I'm being simultaneously called Osama bin Laden and Gandhi. Like, is that something like, I'm going to kill you by not eating? <laughs> but you know, non-violently into the truth and horror of that story but then yeah. when you get it to its natural conclusion it's frankly hilarious and tragic yeah. so it helps people to see laugh at it and and step back and go whoa yeah okay this is just ignorant because of the facts and the actual logic of it as uh-huh. opposed to bringing it back personally so yeah, to me, that's where this is going to be. This is about sharing stories. This mm. is about sharing things that we find in common. And maybe it's just finding what are our hopes for the future. Mm. And once we mm. establish that, where we have something in common, then we go something to something more. And we take tiny baby steps at a time off that. Mm. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because I like to offer that as an ending to all of these shows is like what brings people hope and i'm curious what brings you hope right now the kids and our in our in our um, services i have to tell you i mean we have this beautiful collection of children and sometimes i mean i actually said in the sermon on sunday the theme was hope and I got up there and I was like, I don't even, I just want to tell you all this is a hard sermon to write because today's theme is hope. And unless you live somewhere like, say, Oz, this is a hard sermon to write. And in the midst of that moment of me saying it was hard, one of our kids comes screaming down the aisle, just laughing her head off with like gum stretched out mm. of her mouth. And she's like two and a half. And the mm. whole place broke up laughing. And there was just this moment of, Maybe there's hope here. And mm. I think we just, all of us watch what's going on. And, and as people of faith, we have hope. We are told to have hope. We are given sources for hope. As human beings, it's tough mm. right now. And I have yeah. to say, I, I struggle with it in my own life. Is there, do we, is there really hope now to be had? And when I really am not completely clear, I lean back into the kids and just watch them for a few minutes and the way that they interact with each other, no matter what the skin color, no matter what the religion, no matter what the ethnicity, no matter what their stance on environmental issues, they're playing, they're laughing, they're hugging on each other. And I just think if we can protect them and we can lay a groundwork with them to keep that place of love within them, then maybe we have a chance because right now I'm afraid that the generations that are, um, the adult generations right now are 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 pretty locked in to where they are. I mean, it's like a greeting card. I saw these two little 1950s ladies and they're smoking cigarettes. And one says, well, one of us is wrong. 
<laughs> she looks at her friend and she goes, and the other one's me. <laughs> we're so locked down and yeah so, i think i have to be honest with you paul I, I have serious doubts about it myself sometimes but i have to preach on sunday so i got to find a way to share some glimmer of hope with people and to me it starts with the next generation and what we can learn from them mm. i do think like you know the 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 role of the religious leader right now finding things to say for people who are so desperate to find it, and uh, it is um, it is really really important, and and then you know I do think comedians are are telling are, are doing a great job. There are many comedians out there who who do a great job, and I I was just thinking when you were talking about like you know the rules for preachers, uh, I w- I interviewed Ira Glass who has the This American Life. Uh, that, this was a, a while ago, but he he went to hear um, a rabbi uh, preach. You know he's he, he's not overly religious, but he was like, and he listened. He was like, that's our setup. What he's doing is setting up a story and then giving like a reveal and like, you know, and he was, it was just, you know, these, we think about, you know, these kind of um, new storytelling, but the connected with old storytelling. And I remember even at seminary hearing like that some of the parables of Jesus had like, um, like a little bit of a twist that in the time might have been considered a little bit like uh, surprising, maybe even humorous. And uh, and I, I think that, you know, th- this idea of the separation of um, religion and and comedy uh, is obviously a false one. I'm just so appreciative of all you're doing. What haven't we talked about that that is very endemic to who you are right now? What would be something that you would want to lift up? You know, Paul, I love that you are asking about finding common ground. And one of the things I think, especially during this holiday season that um, that I I worry about, I preach about and I struggle with myself is making sure to appreciate what I like, what I think of is the person on the other side of the line, the person who may be across the from you at Starbucks making your coffee or God forbid, bless them, customer service reps. Uh, I think it's so easy because now the anger level in this country is so high. We just channel everything through the phone line against these, um, for example, customer service reps. And so many people get mad. They're like, oh, they don't understand English the way I want them to, blah, blah, blah. Here's my experience with that. About five or six years ago, I was in Atlanta going through the airport. And as a Southern woman, I can tell the story, right? So I'm sitting there and there was another, another Southern belle sitting across from me. She was on her phone, ripping into a customer service rep. And she was like, oh my God, I don't understand why you can't fix this. Can't you just push a button or something? I mean, I'm about to have myself a conniption pit right up here in this airport. And then, <laughs> a conniption and then, fit. I have not heard that for a while. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I the phone, and I was thinking to myself, who is it that doesn't speak English? You know, right. here and there was that understanding, you know, and then you, you really start realizing that most of the, the customer service reps who are in other countries are folks like lawyers, doctors who cannot find work. And they're in countries where the literacy rate is way higher than us. So there's moments where I think common ground is about us stepping back and getting a little bit of a reality check on who we are and yeah. where we are from. Because we do tend to have a little bit of an inflated view. Um, and I think that moment is where we need to go back to 
you know, love each other as Christ loved you, as opposed to love each other and less. And here are the 14 caveats. <laughs> well, and I, I think that that's like a really good example because, you know, holiday season, didn't you say peace, love, joy, and uh, what was the other one? Hope. Um, well, you know, generally that's not what you're experiencing on the streets of New York, at least in my experience. And, it, and, and everybody is frustrated. And you're like, I, we went to Thanksgiving and we were, you know, a, a trip that was supposed to take three and a half hours, took seven hours. And, 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 but if we can, if we can stop and just like uh, fun, have fun, even when it's not the way that we thought the fun was going to happen. And also I really think like treating other people, um, and actually being curious about who you might be talking to, that they have big lives and real lives. And, you know, I, I think all of that is like just an essential actual spiritual value. Um, and uh, and I love like, you know, and if we can also find the humor and share share a laugh. I've, I've sometimes like made a little joke with someone on the other end of a um uh, on the other end of a service line and and they just appreciate it so much because they are mostly dealing with me in another mood who's like can I talk to your manager you know like I'm not above it I'm not pretending like I'm perfect but I when you do actually like take the extra minute uh to be kind uh I I think that that's great and you know I just will say I think one thing we forget is that it, you know our call or our duty or our um, responsibility as people of faith to be kind is not just 11 to 12 on Sunday or whenever it is that your, um, you know, religious services or or that designated moment. It's all the time. It's throughout. And I love the quote by the Benedictine nun Joan Chittister. She said, um, "We all have the potential to be the human beat of the heart of God." And I think that's so beautiful. And if we realize that potential, then it's it's a bit daunting, but yeah. it's ability to literally change the relationship of the one-on-one, -on -one, it's ability to change the room, it's ability to change the entire community, the world, and that starts with us. Yeah, that's such a beautiful quote. And by the way, for those who know Sister Joan, she is a funny lady. Like she is not like just floating on air. She can be funny, like, you know, so it's, I, I love all of this. Reverend Susan Sparks is a preacher, lawyer, and stand-up comedian. She's senior pastor of Madison Avenue Baptist Church in New York City and the best-selling author of books like Laugh Your Way to Grace, Reclaiming the Spiritual Power of Humor, Miracle on 31st Street, and Ten Commandments of Joy. Susan, thank you so much for being here on State of Belief. Thank you, Paul. It was an honor. I appreciate the invitation. Have a lovely holiday to everyone. So I want to offer a personal word um, to you this holy season for me as a Christian. Uh, I'm inspired by church last week. Uh, we went there and they had something called No Rehearsal Christmas Pageant, which I loved. So um, everyone in the congregation was able to adorn whatever costume they wanted, whether it was an angel or a shepherd or um, uh, a, a sheep, whatever you felt like you were called to. And, and, you know, it was just a really beautiful moment. And the pastor said to us before, she said, you're stepping into the shoes 
of someone in this story and and what does that feel like and I thought that was such a nice invitation for us to imagine ourselves in the story. And we're in a story right now, um, and it's one that is difficult for many of us. Um, you know, I just want to acknowledge this incredibly difficult time for my Jewish uh, cousins and friends and colleagues, this crazy anti-Semitism that is plaguing our country, as well as my Muslim um, beloved friends who are um, suffering so much from this spiking Islamophobia, all of which was at terrible levels before the crisis in the Middle East, and now is even worse, spiking people really being targeted, people hurting. And so I just want to offer us the opportunity to imagine ourselves in other people's shoes right now. Give ourselves the, um, the space to listen, the space to hear, the space to engage. And then in this moment where uh, I am hoping to, to follow the light, um, a new life, a fragile but hopeful light in the world, that we might move forward and that we might not just think about walking in other people's shoes, but show up for one another in this time, joining one another, refusing to hate, refusing to allow for people who we love, people who we don't know and that we know to feel hurting right now. So on this um, sacred time of year for me as a Christian and for my family, I invite uh, all of us, especially Christians, to show up to reject this Christian nationalist um, nonsense, dangerous nonsense, and show up for all of those around us who are hurting, people we agree with and people we disagree with, and let us embody peace on earth. And I'll, I'll close with, um, my kids go to a great public school. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the teachers. I'm grateful for public schools. <laughs> I'm grateful for the all that they offer. But one thing they, they offered in a dance class was something that we now do at night um, with our uh, our two sons, which is we, we say, peace begins with me. And so in this holy season, um, I invite you to imagine peace beginning with you and letting it shine to all those around you. And, and thank you for being with us in this journey. And that's all the time we have for The State of Belief this week. Be sure to subscribe to The State of Belief at Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast platform or at stateofbelief.com slash podcast. We need your help to keep making The State of Belief. Become a partner in this crucial work by making a financial contribution today. Information on how to donate is available at stateofbelief.com. That's stateofbelief.com. And if you're getting something out of the show, and I assume you are, share it with the people in your networks. Let's get more people listening and keep these conversations going on Facebook and Instagram at State of Belief. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Religion News Service or Religion News Foundation. State of Belief is produced by Ray Kirstein and is a production of Interfaith Alliance. Become a member today at interfaithalliance.org. And be sure to join us next week. I'll be in conversation with Congressman Don Beyer of Virginia 
who's been a leading voice for anti-hate and religious freedom legislation since taking office in 2015. And Emmy-nominated actor and best-selling author Rain Wilson will be with us to talk about his book, Soul Boom, Why We Need a Spiritual Revolution, his Baha'i faith, and lots more. I can't wait. Until then, I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch on the state of belief where religion and democracy meet.